Hello and welcome to Rewire Conversations, a podcast brought to you by Hanover Communications, discussing the challenges and opportunities faced by business leaders and how they are responding in these extraordinary times. I'm Gavin McGraw, and in the first in the series, we're going to have a discussion between Matthew Taylor, who's Chief Executive of the RSA, and Charles Lewington, Chief Executive and Founder of Hanover. We're going to discuss the dangers of COVID for the future of businesses as they are now, and what they need to do to change for that future. So Charles, Matthew, thank you for joining us. Some big issues here, some big issues for society and businesses. Now, last October, the FT's editorial stated that a more responsible capitalism was needed. They talked about a crisis hitting the world that we all live in around mistrust and populism and the threat that's had to modern day capitalism and why it had to adapt. Obviously, we've seen COVID. How dangerous is COVID? for the future of businesses as they are now, and how much do they need to change? Well, I think that great crises like this accelerate uh, many developments that were already in place anyway, rather than uh, create a paradigm shift in the way that we do things. Um, And I think the difference between what the FT were arguing uh, last year about the need for there to be more uh, socially responsible capitalism uh, has been brought to the fore in the last two months because a failure to behave responsibly as a business has destroyed shareholder value in huge quantities. And so the wake-up call for business and for boards and for investors uh, is that actually if their operating businesses are, are not taking a what you know you might call a belt and braces approach uh, to tackling a lot of these problems, the uh, ability for campaigns or pressure groups or consumers acting collectively to destroy shareholder value, uh, that's going to be a big driver of change over the next few years. Uh, I think that the relationship between crisis and change is contingent in the sense that crisis doesn't always lead to change and it doesn't always lead to good change. But certainly change is more likely following crisis. And I think that there was a sense going into this crisis of higher public expectations of corporate behaviour and responsibility. And I think that's only been accelerated during the crisis. And I think we've seen some people fall flat on their face who've tried to exercise traditional forms of kind of rather macho top-down management. It has not gone down well. And with so many businesses relying on government as well uh, to have enabled them to survive and survive going forward, that's only going to increase public expectation because, you know, if it feels to the taxpayer that I have helped a business stay afloat, I don't want to hear that that business is paying its executives excessively or mistreating its supply chain or selling uh, dodgy goods. So... I think, yes, the responsibility for corporations to live up to public expectations is going to grow. But I also think that this isn't just about how individual companies work. It's also about how sectors work together. Because, you know, if you're a business and you try and do the right thing, but your competitors are not doing the right thing, firstly, you'll suffer. But secondly, it doesn't really help your reputation that much because if everybody hates all banks, the fact that you're a better bank doesn't stop you being part of a sector that people aren't very happy with and that is seen as being kind of problematic. So I think there's something also about how businesses work together and also how business leaders are willing to raise their heads above the parapet a bit more. You know, I mean, something that's changed, I think, in in recent years for me is that, you know, I find, generally speaking, business leaders get these long-term issues more often than politicians do, you know, particularly, for example, when it comes to climate change. There's been a real shift there 
And I think that often business leaders are disappointed by the lack of political leadership they get. And I think we need now leaders who are more willing, actually, to put themselves on the side of the public, on the side of civil society, and challenge politicians to be a bit more courageous. Because in the end, however good corporates are, however good corporations are, if governments are ineffective and unpopular, then corporations get caught up in the general kind of polarization and pessimism in society. But how, how, Matthew, how do you convince people that they shouldn't be focused on profits for shareholder return and instead are in effect filling the gap that government's leaving behind? You know, I think this, this conversation about, as it were, choosing between focusing purely on profit and shareholder return on the one hand and a broader agenda in relation to social environmental responsibility. You know, I don't think we should underestimate that that is challenging. And every company will give you a positive story, every big company about its purpose and its values. But very often, if you have a really authentic conversation with leaders, they'll say, well, that's what I want to do, but I have pressures, short-term pressures on me. And often they'll make excuses. They'll say, well, look, you know, we may not be perfect, but you should see our competitors. They're even worse. So, you know, these are difficult issues. And I think that one of the challenges, really big challenges for leaders now, is to be open and explicit about the fact that these are difficult issues. To treat their staff, to treat their stakeholders, suppliers, customers as grown-ups and say, look, we have to make a profit because we don't make a profit, we won't exist. And if we don't exist, we can't provide services. But we want mm. to do this in the right way. But it might have implications for you. Are, are you willing to pay a bit extra for goods where you can be sure that there's not modern slavery or exploitation taking place in the supply chain? And I, I think having those skills, you know, we have grown up, you know, Charles, you and I, we've kind of grown up in a world where the kind of standard model of leadership was people who showed no doubt, you know, and were you know prided themselves on their kind of their strength and their determination and their you know and i think that's shifted now i think that what people want is leaders who are able to understand that things uh, are complex recognize and be honest about trade-offs mm. even sometimes demonstrate vulnerability to say look i don't know how to square this circle our answer to that uh is that there is growing evidence that those um that those companies that not only tick the the esg the environmental social and governance boxes for investors but actually take uh, that whole agenda incredibly seriously will do better at um, growing shareholder value you know there is some some evidence that uh, companies in the uh, standard and poor esg 500 have actually outperformed um, uh, you know the main S and P five hundred during the during the crisis. I certainly think that investors will be casting a much more critical eye uh, over the kind of operational detail of a lot of these issues. They won't accept platitudes um, in annual reports. They will really want to uh, you know lift the bonnet and understand that if a company claims that it's improved its relationships with its suppliers by fifty five percent over the last year, what on earth does that mean, and who are the suppliers? Um, so there's going to be a lot more uh, requirement for audit trails. And a lot more requirement, I think, for really robust data sets that can, you know, reassure investors that, um, you know, these companies are really making a difference. And I think to uh, Matthew's point about about business leaders who slightly despair of the poor quality of political leadership. I mean, I 
uh, I completely uh, agree with that. And this is a this is a great opportunity for the more enlightened business leaders um, to keep ahead of this agenda uh, before the government uh, or the politicians more generally uh, get together and decide that this is a very good area for legislation, which will end up with a plethora of bureaucracy that will not deliver the result. So um, what do you see the lessons from this crisis from a leadership perspective in business, Charles? I'll give one example. Um, I think that chief executives who are being pressured by boards, who are being pressured by investors to give uh, cash back to shareholders or to accept higher debt to EBITDA ratios, quote unquote, in order to drive higher performance, um, will need to have uh, the courage to push back and say uh, that there are some operating models that simply don't provide sufficient resilience in a business to uh, enable them to survive a crisis when it hits. And the businesses that are uh, doing well during this crisis are those that have got um, you know, sufficient working capital. They've always been quite suspicious of uh, over leverage. Um, surprise, surprise. Uh, many of them are German companies. And uh, a lot of those companies that have done less well are those that have um, run slightly more chancier financial models um, or indeed have um, found themselves uh, under scrutiny from active, activist hedge fund investors uh, who are arguing that they've delivered sufficient insufficient returns. And all, all that's going to be debated and aired fully over the, over the next few months. And it's, we're only business press is only really just touching the surface of that at the moment. That's just one example. Uh, I think the concept of resilience is critical to what is going to come out of COVID-19. And I think that uh, questions of financial resilience are, are very significant. And I wonder whether I actually think that we're more likely to see a rolling back of financialization than a rolling back of globalization, actually. But also there's a kind of recognition, I think, that, that resilience is not just about how much, you know, of an economic, of a financial buffer you've got. It's also about cultural resilience in terms of the quality of relationships that you've got in an organization. Because organizations where there was reasonable levels of trust um, and uh, leaders who could communicate effectively have been able to manage this better than organizations that didn't have that level of trust and had models of top-down control, which, which were proven to be rather inflexible in the face of the level of indeterminacy. Because we are talking about moving beyond the crisis, but of course we're moving into a huge area of uh, of uncertainty and you know i think this goes to the very heart of the kind of notion of resilience which is you might say well resilience isn't resilience about certainty no resilience is about how you deal with inherent uncertainty so we're talking about going in and helping organizations rewire the strategies at this really important time so post covid why do you think it's fundamentally important for ceos to take this seriously COVID has, has challenged so many different areas of uh, corporate activity. Businesses are now heavily reliant on government. Brand value has been destroyed with extraordinary rapidity because chief executives have not had the uh, right sense of purpose or value set for the circumstances organizations have found that their employees in this extraordinary crisis have actually looked to them for leadership 
rather than necessarily government or public health officials. And uh, that has surprised a lot of business leaders who now find themselves, partly by regulation, but partly out of duty, responsible in a wholly new way for the health of their employees and their safety in the, in the workplace. Those are just three examples of pretty dramatic change as a consequence of COVID. Whenever we think about change at the RSA, the starting point is to understand the barriers to change. And I think that one of the things that leaders need to do if they want their organisations to work in different ways and believe they need to in these different circumstances is to do some quite deep thinking about what the barriers to change are within their organisation. You know, and sometimes that will be stuff to do with leadership and culture and resources, but sometimes it might even go to the business model. You know, it might require leaders to say there is something about our business model that doesn't enable us to be the organization we need to be. And therefore, we have to do the hardest thing, which is to say it's the business model itself that needs to be explored. So I think that any commitment to change has to start from an awareness of the barriers to change and a kind of forensic discussion of those. Otherwise, you will always get a yawning gap between aspiration and reality. Okay, these are really challenging times and everyone's having to learn to adapt. But what are the new skill sets that modern day leaders need post-COVID? So I think that leaders, first of all, modern leaders have to have a pretty good degree of self-awareness. You know, I think that you do need to be aware of what your strengths and your weaknesses are. You need to build a team around you, which is based upon that understanding. I think that communication skills are more and more important It doesn't matter how clever and brilliant you are. If you're not able to communicate authentically with the people around you, uh, then I think you're going to be in trouble. And I think that a deep authenticity, which only comes from self-reflection, you know, you can pretend to be authentic, but actually it comes from really thinking deeply about yourself and what you want your organization to achieve is also vitally important. Now, look, I'm not saying that all the other more traditional skills that people need to be able to lead an organization which relate to the specific technical and financial challenges of running a complex organization aren't important they are all important but this is the challenge because they're still important but you've now got to bring to bear a new set of challenges which are to do with this self-awareness to do with your capacity to communicate to do with your capacity to, to communicate purpose in a way which is inspiring to people and i would add one last element to this you know i actually think leaders need to demonstrate a certain amount of stoicism which is that you know In the end, even if you're the greatest leader in the world, there will come a point when you will move on or you will be asked to move on and someone new will come in and at their first meeting will say, well, we need to change. And that's just the way the world is. And I think that part of being an effective leader is to be reasonably philosophical uh, about that and to recognize that you will not be loved by everybody. You will not be a hero. And whatever you achieve will, in a sense, it won't last forever. So I think actually, if you start with that realism, then you will have a greater sense of the achievements that you've got because you understand the parameters you're working. I think one of the the biggest temptations of leadership is to believe in your immortality and your ah, in, your infallibility. Yeah, I, I would I would add to your I would add to your checklist um, of um, self awareness, uh, empathy, stoicism. Uh, ability to knit mistakes and understand your own sense of mortality, uh, the importance of decisiveness 
Um, you know, that old mantra of fast failure, um, when a business is in trouble, uh, you have to move incredibly quickly uh, to secure it, to put the pegs back in the ground um, for the next five to 10 years. And I think that the crisis will actually throw up some quite interesting examples of corporate leaders uh, who maybe were over empathetic um, and as a consequence didn't move fast enough to take the cost out of the business in order to secure its to secure its future. And that's why this discussion, Matthew, is so utterly fascinating, because in many cases, we're talking about completely different skill sets uh, required in one extraordinary individual. And I think that the role of mentoring uh, is going to be a lot more important going forward. I think the relationship between the CEO and the CFO uh, is going to be very important because if it's necessary to have a more empathetic and self-aware chief executive who has better communication skills, then maybe it's going to be more important that the CFO performs the double act because it's quite difficult to uh, find an extraordinary individual who has all these skills in, in, you know, in one place. Um, I can think of very, very few examples. Why have Hanover and the RSA partnered to help business leaders rewire their strategies? Well, um, Hanover is a corporate reputation specialist, and uh, we've been working with a lot, a lot of clients, particularly during the crisis, trying to help them think through the consequences of these enormous societal changes. And Matthew and the RSA have a fantastic reputation for uh, understanding the complexity of workplace issues, not only the operational aspects of it, but also the cultural and organisational and change consequences of it. Um, so I felt it was a fantastic natural fit, uh, you know, for us to work together and to be able to go into businesses uh, right at the top, even at board level, to be able to say we can take a very holistic approach between us to helping uh, future-proof and indeed rewire the organisations uh, for the future. I mean, the RSA's focus is on change more than anything else. And the reason that I'm keen to be working with Hanover is to be able to work at a senior level with organisations that are committed to trying to be a force for good. Uh, in the world and you know look at any issue and we've just been talking about the challenges of the garment trade in Leicester and a critical uh, change agent in a situation like that is the business community in a number of ways uh, and so as an organization a progressive organization interested in change the prospect of being able to work with the expertise that Hanover has got and the credibility Hanover has got with with senior people about how it is businesses can make a difference for good is really exciting. So that's it for this show. Thanks to Matthew and Charles for the very interesting chat. We're going to be back soon for more Rewire conversations. In the meantime, though, keep in mind that these challenging times are actually a real opportunity for organisations to change for the better. 